You're listening to Paychecks and Balances, a podcast about the intersection of work, money, and life. So whether you're trying to get out of debt, into a new career, or into a better mindset and mental space, PNB has something for you. My name is Rich Jones, and I host this here show, and I'm excited today for a few reasons. So one, I'm officially off from the day gig until the new year, and can't wait to get some much-needed rest from the corporate shenanigans. It's been an insane year all around, and I'm looking forward to having a few days at least to wake up and not have any responsibilities. Two, I get some space to create space, which makes me happy because when I have space, I do dope stuff. And last but not least, I had a great conversation with a guest who made the leap from being a creative executive at CBS, Paramount, and NBC Universal to being a creative entrepreneur, pitch artist, my words, not hers, dating coach, podcaster, and so much more. In fact, she just finished hosting the third season of the I Make a Living podcast from FreshBooks while also juggling her own show over at Dates and Mates. Today, I'm chatting with Damona Hoffman. And what I love most about this conversation is her honesty around all things work, money, and life. So we covered a lot and we could have kept on going. So I'll just summarize this episode by saying, it was the bee's knees, good sir. But seriously, here's my chat with Demona, and I hope you enjoy. It's so good to have you on. I remember we met how many years ago? Was it three? I feel like it was like three years ago, four years ago now at Podcast Movement. And it was in passing. And then we ended up coming back together again through a mutual client of sorts, which was kind of interesting. So, yes. yeah, it's, it's podcast been a few years roads now. lead to the same place, I think. <laughs> they do. They do. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about your background and uh, how you got to where you are today, because I think you're, you're doing some pretty awesome and unique things. So tell people what you are doing today, who you are today, and we'll kind of work our way back and bring it full circle. It's funny because you're actually starting with the most challenging question, I think. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot so? of hyphens in my in my uh, business title, I guess. But at my core, I would say I'm a content creator and dating coach, <laughs> most simply. Uh, but I, I make content for a lot of different brands. Um, I write for a number of publications from the LA Times to the Washington Post. I do television. I podcast. I have th- two podcasts and a half. And uh, somehow also run a dating coaching business all at the same time. Now, dating coaching business content creator podcast. I know that you're also doing stuff that's not specifically related to the dating and relationship lane. So which one came first? The relationship side of things or the content creation or you did them in parallel? Oh, that's a very good question because it depends on how far back you go. Um, I actually moved to Los Angeles after college to pursue a career in television. Mm -hmm. And I did that for many years. And ultimately, when I, I had my daughter and I came back to a job that I thought I love, I was vice president of development and programming at NBC Universal. And I was like, that sounds this is fancy. It. To be honest, it, it was a little bit fancy. It was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty intense job. And I had, you know, a lot of money at stake and a lot of decisions that I had to make every day. And I was working like 60 hours a week. And I was the first one. I would rush into the office. I'd work through lunch. 
And then I'd be the first one to leave at 6.45, which now I'm like, this is ridiculous. Uh, and I'd be the last one to get to daycare every single day. Like my little baby daughter, the first year of her life, barely even saw me. I'd rush home, mm. put put her to bed, go back on my computer, watch more cuts or or do more, more um, creative planning. And then I get back then I, up the next morning and do it all again. And after a year of that, I was just like, this can't, this can't be it. This is not the life. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. So I left without, a, without really a plan of what I was going to do next. But I, I knew that I had been writing dating profiles the whole time because I actually started out as a casting director. And there were a lot of parallels between what I would tell actors about their headshots and what, I needed to do on dating apps to get noticed by the right kind of guys. It said dating apps. It's really, it was dating sites back then. Met my husband online. And then it was just like the side hustle. I would just write the profiles and didn't think of it as a business. But once I had freed up that space in my mind and I was no longer an NBC executive, I started asking, well, who am I and what do I do? And that's when the other chapter began. Oh, we're going to get to all of that. I got a lot of questions for you. So one, being a VP, the thought of leaving at 645, scrambling around. Now, I know the more senior you are, the more meetings you find yourself in, the more accountability you have. But that I did not envision like the scrambling out the door to go and and pick up your child. I, I like I assume that there's somebody who's lower level who's taking care of some of the things so that you can get out of the office. But it sounds like that might be a little bit different in your world because I know the way that executives operate also depends on industry. So can you talk a little bit about being a VP in this media, Hollywood, glitz, glam life that you were living? I don't know if it's as glamorous as it sounds, but I knew that when I had children, I didn't want to have them for someone else to raise. And there were a lot of people that I saw around me that were like, oh, it's fine. My nanny picks up my my kid and takes them home and then I can stay in the office as long as I want. And I was just like, what is the point of that? <laughs> like, if I'm going to be a parent, I'm actually going to be to be there for her. And my boss would call meetings literally like six o'clock on a Friday. There'd be a meeting that we were supposed to have at like two that he would postpone and postpone and postpone. And then six o'clock and he had a family, but like he thought nothing of calling a meeting at six o'clock on a Friday. And people would just be sitting there rolling their eyes like, I can't believe we're sitting here. We have no life. And I always had the perspective, Rich, that like this was a big part of my life and I loved my job, but my job was not my life. My life was my life. My job was my job (laughs) and what I did for a living. But even though there was overlap, they were not synonymous to me. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you balance progressing to that level of being a VP, but also maintaining your life because you said your job isn't your life but to get to that level you've you've got to make some some level of sacrifice there are some things that you need to be doing you got to make sure that people know who you are you got to all of the politics playing the game all of that stuff probably pulling even later hours when you weren't as senior in the organization so how did you how did you kind of balance maintaining your life but also still climbing that corporate ladder Yeah, I would say I had very strong boundaries from the beginning. Like I remember I was working for an executive who like just the culture of the industry is just like 
you know, lie your way, you know, bravado and just just talk your way through everything. So I remember one day my boss, I'm from the Midwest, like I'm from Michigan. We are honest. We're hardworking. I love <laughs> that state. She- as of November. <laughs> Thank you. We redeemed ourselves. <laughs> but but back back then, you know, I was just I was just an assistant. My job was to answer her phone, book her calendar, make sure that she had her all, got to all of her meetings on time, get coffee for people. But even then, I remember one time she was like, "Don't don't tell them I'm not here. Like tell them I'm 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 off doing X, Y, Z. I'm meeting with this person or I've got to, I got to go talk to the boss and I, I can't talk to them. And she was like making up this huge elaborate lie. And I was like, how about I just tell them you're not here or that you can't talk to them right now? <laughs> like the honest thing is just, you can't, you, you're not available. They don't need to know all of those other details. But I said, I'm not going to lie for you. Like I will protect you. I will, I will be your best advocate, but do not make me tell a lie on your behalf. And that kind of conviction, I feel like has made it, it, even throughout my career as an executive and then also now as a dating coach and content creator, people know that I my word means something and um, they can trust me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I had to set up boundaries along the way, but I also always knew my function. Like when I was answering phones, I knew my job is not to do my boss's job. My job is to do this job so well that they're like, damn, that Demona, she's doing things. And that's what I did. <laughs> I did that for a couple years. And then my boss was like, look, you're great. There's nowhere for you to go. And like those people ended up being in those, the executives there were there for like 15 years after. So yeah. I'm really grateful that she kicked me out the door because I would have been holding on trying to get an executive job just waiting for doors to open. So I also moved around a lot. Like I always have had this feeling, I don't know if it's it's the entertainment industry or just in general, but I'm like, the company's going to do what the company needs to do. Mm-hmm. You, you, yes. It's not emotional. You need to take care of yourself. You need to get your needs met because the company's not going to take care of that for you. I love that. That is a fantastic point because so many people, they're scared to make pivots, make changes, even things with like vacation days. I've talked recently about how sometimes we feel that we need to justify taking off vacation days, even though it's time that we've earned to have off from work. There's still kind of this need to justify because, you know, someone might get upset or even when it comes to negotiating, especially now with this climate that we're in now, where you'll get people saying that they don't want to ask for more because they read or the company's not doing as well. So, you know, they don't want to ask for too much and lose out on the opportunity. And I'm kind of like, no, 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 no. Best believe that if the company needed to cut you or the company needed to do something, they would not hesitate to do that. And they would say that it's just business. And what they're dealing with does not change the value that you bring to the table. So whatever your ask is going to be, that needs to be your ask, you know? Yes, that is so important. I'm really glad. I'm I'm so glad that you said that, especially for women. I think just culturally, we tend to not ask for what what we're worth. And a lot of times, like we'll even negotiate down before the negotiation started. I had this experience 
just a couple months ago, um, I'm I have a TV agent, and I'd never had them like negotiate any of my other contracts. And I had another friend who does television, and then also does like spokesperson work. And she was like, "Have them negotiate your spokesperson contracts," because it's like always that weird, that weird conversation of like I'm negotiating and I'm holding a hard line, and then I'm also now going to be your friend and do the project with you. It's always a little uncomfortable. So I was like, oh, okay, I could do that. And my agent, no joke, got me four times. I hope this company's not listening. <laughs> they got me we, four. You know what? You're working with multiple companies right now. So I'm working they with multiple companies and they got me four times what I was going to ask for. Four wow. times. And that was just such a huge lesson to me that it was like, no, you need to ask for what you're worth and not just time for money, not just like, well, how many hours would this be? But like, what is all of the time that I've spent building my brand worth? What is all of the knowledge that I have from all of my years in television and all of my years as a dating coach and all of my years doing podcasting? What is all of that actually worth? What are they buying? They're not just buying my time. They're buying they're buying my name and they're buying my experience as well. Right, right. So what does that conversation or what did that conversation look like in your head though? Because I know what it looks like when I'm negotiating myself down. There's this conversation that we have with self where we actually negotiate ourselves down. So I'm just trying to give people a sense of like what that conversation in someone's head looks like. The conversation is different in your head every time. Sometimes it's, I don't think this company has that much money or sometimes it's just like I don't even have a framework like for this kind of a an agreement I had no framework for even what people paid for that sort of thing because it was a pretty broad scope um content creation it, you know involved a lot of different elements and I was just like I don't even know what to ask for for that so I was trying to kind of gauge what the market was but ultimately I think the market may be able to set a range, but the market doesn't necessarily matter. If you're the person that they want, they'll pay what you are willing to do it for. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, some people are probably listening and thinking, I need to get me an agent for when I look for my next job. But that's not something that, that we can all do, especially in the in these corporate America streets. But uh, is there anything from that experience that you think would be applicable? And, and you've noted a few things already, but is there anything else that you think would be applicable to somebody who is struggling with negotiation? Let's say they have a nine to five and maybe they're trying something new and different. And so they don't really have a baseline for it because because it's something new, how they can approach that conversation. So maybe instead of getting... So, Maybe they won't get 4X, but you know, maybe they'll get 2X more. Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, whatever number you're thinking, <laughs> maybe double it or at least add, add 25% because you're probably, you're probably selling yourself short before the conversation has even begun. They can always come back and say, well, we don't have that much money. But if you don't ask for what you're worth, you'll never know. And and coming off of that experience, I actually learned something. And then I had another agreement that that was out of the scope of what my agent did. And I remembered that. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to fight for this. <laughs> I had a company actually that I was working with who 
offered me less money they, than they had offered me for the same amount of work like six months earlier. And I know there's a global pandemic. I know companies are suffering or whatever. But I was just like, really? You're going to offer me, you're going to negotiate me down? I've got to at least ask for what I'm worth. And I and I realized like they also probably didn't even remember what they had paid me from six months earlier. They were just like, ah, let's throw out a number. So I spoke up and I said, can you at least match what you paid me before? And they were like, well, I don't know. And finally, like she I went, don't know. You she, did it. You paid I know, me. Right? But they were like, well, this is a different, this is a different piece of content. But, but the person hiring me went to the powers that be and she was like, they, they gave it. So this was a good lesson for me, even as a manager to know that sometimes what I think the limits are might not be there. And it's worth asking if I believe in someone. You made me think of something else. So people can't have an agent in the hiring process for a nine to five, but you can have an advocate. And I think of the agent the person who went to the powers that be, I think of them as advocates for you. And so I think when people are even interviewing, they may not have an agent in house, but that person who's their, who's their point of contact throughout the process, they can build a really strong rapport with that person. And they can make sure that uh, the way that they interact and, and, and the way that they communicate and, and the way that they build that relationship is strong because I come from a staffing background and I ultimately was the candidate advocate where I'd be going to the hiring manager or whoever and saying, hey, we really need to move forward with this person if a hiring manager was unsure or uncertain. So even if you don't have somebody formally who is representing you, you can build relationship with folks so that they feel compelled to advocate for you. Because there, there were times where I said, hey, if you really want to get this person in the door, I'm telling you, they're not going to accept that offer. You need to come back with this. And I didn't just say that simply because I wanted to close out that particular role that I was working on. It was also about that particular individual because I wouldn't do that for everyone. Yeah, I'm saying that now because I'm not in the field anymore, but I wouldn't do that from everyone. But there were certain people where I said, you know what? I'm willing to advocate for you just because I believe so strongly in what you're doing and how you've positioned yourself and you have a, a really cohesive story that I can get behind. That's a really good point. And there are also professional advocates. Like when I was an executive, I had a lawyer that negotiated my contracts. That's very common. And I know other other executives that didn't do that and they didn't always get everything that they wanted. So sometimes... You, you might you might have advocates outside of the company, too, that you could use. And to me, it's totally worth it. Like an agent works on a commission, a lawyer, depending on what their hourly is, you're probably going to make back enough money to justify the cost of 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 that person that would be negotiating for you. Yes. So for those who are doing the creative things out there in the street, because the other thing is people sometimes go, oh, I don't want to have to pay somebody. And that's a whole other conversation where you actually cost yourself by not paying a cost for something that you really need in your business or just in your own uh, individual development. So I encourage people <laughs> to remember that sometimes it is going to be worth it for you to part with a percentage or for you to pay somebody a fee to help you get where you ultimately want to go or even help you get what it is that you truly deserve and 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 what is truly your worth. Now, you talked about boundaries as well and you have strong boundaries and I've been waiting to ask this but of course we had to talk about negotiation where did that 
come from? Where does that strong grasp of boundaries come from? Because not everybody has that. Oh, wow. That's a deep question. What are you, my therapist? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'll be going every Friday at noon. You know? <laughs> um, me too. I mean, that could be some of it. Like I, I have always taken mental health very seriously. Um, I think part of the work ethic just comes from my family of origin. My, I think the boundaries really are just a part of the work ethic as a whole. But my dad is the son of Jewish immigrants who came to this country with nothing and had to build their way up. My mom is, um, she's a, she's a black woman from the projects in Detroit. Again, she had nothing and she had to really fight for her education to get to for her career, you know, to to like make it out of the hood. So I think there there is a part of me that has that that has that integrity and that fight because that's what's been passed down to me from generation to generation. Now is is there a a situation where having those tight boundaries has gotten you in trouble? Because I, I love that when things are kind of like deeply instilled and it's just part of who you are, but then sometimes that creates you know issues or, or challenges. And I think having concrete boundaries is super important. And I have not had those at various points throughout my life and it, it has resulted in pain, but I'm curious about the flip side of that for you and how it may have created some negative impacts or conflicts that you had to navigate around. Well, certainly it creates, it creates conflicts when you establish a boundary that someone else is not comfortable with or doesn't want to meet. Like I, I hold everybody else up to the same standard that I hold myself to. So I often would run into issues with if I put something on my calendar, it's happening. It's real. It's that's my that's part. It's an extension of my word. So when people don't have that same philosophy, I could get very upset. I'm working through that with my therapist. <laughs> you know, the same thing also with like support staff. Like if I um, if someone does not have that same work ethic, and fortunately the team that I have now all does, but I didn't always know how to hire for that. And then sometimes I would get myself in a situation where I had certain expectations for people that weren't necessarily realistic for them to be able to meet. Ooh. So how did you navigate that? Because I've been there and I think even sometimes we have that within relationships and not just romantic but just pe people we work with, we have these expectations for them. They should be able to do this. I did this. So how come you can't do this? Doesn't everyone know how to do this when it turns out you're really the only one who knows how to do it? So how do you, how do you navigate that, that misalignment in expectations? Everything comes down to communication, ultimately. And one thing that was very valuable, there were many things that were valuable about my, my executive experience in media, but... You know, I was like, <laughs> I was like this with the HR team. And so when I, I did have situations where uh, I had a staff member that was not living up to expectations, I would have to, I'd have to be very, very clear about what the expectations were, how they were not being met, what that person could do to improve their performance. And the timeline as well for when I expected things to change. And 
doing that, like having to document that experience and having to articulate what my expectations and boundaries were really helped me develop that skill set that I could then apply when I became an entrepreneur and and had to develop all of these systems like now I'm HR, I am yeah. the legal department, I am also the creative department, I am all of these things that I used to be able to pick up a phone and call somebody else for. That's now all on my plate. But I'm really grateful that I learned that experience when I was under the corporate banner. I love that. And you have made the transition into entrepreneurship, but I was curious, and you mentioned you you left the day gig. You didn't have a grand plan in place when you left, but did you have a moment that sticks out as like the breaking point where you said, you know what? And there's other letters that follow what the word that I'm not using there, but mm-hmm. did you have like a breaking point moment where you were like, that's it. I just can't. Yeah, there were a series, <laughs> there were a series of breaking points. I think ultimately... There was a corporate restructuring and there was a moment where somebody who was my my colleague on my level had been promoted above me. And then my boss was like, this is how the corporation's working now. And instead of reporting to me, you're going to report to him. I feel like office space, like <laughs> when they were like, you could have people like as many as three people right directly under you. So suddenly I was doing the same work. And remember now I'm a parent. So I'm like doing everything I can to do my best work in the office and be present at home. So I'm working twice as hard. And then I'm like, essentially I'm getting less and less of the pie, but working far more hours. And I just, at that point I was like, you really need to make a decision. And my contract was up and I wanted, they wanted to renew it. But my boss was just like, well, this is what the situation is going to be. He set a boundary for me. He's like, this is a situation. Either we renew and I'm happy to have you here, but this is, you're now a direct report of this person or we go our separate ways. And I just, I just couldn't, I could not, I try, I said, I'm going to try it for a few weeks but I just, I couldn't adapt to the, you know, for better or worse, I couldn't adapt to the new org structure. So I opted out. And there was, there was a moment there, there was a, the actual breaking point happened in front of my television. I was watching Oprah's life class and she was talking about these moments. And she was like, you need to decide, like, is this the life that you want to lead? And you need, either need to stay or you need to go. And I was crying, Rich. I was crying on the floor of my living room. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't do this. And it was rough. Like that first, I don't know, four months, I really struggled with like, what is my identity? Because I knew I was not leaving to be a parent. Like because I kind of left quietly. I thought I was going to get another executive job. So Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, I'll just take a little time off, leave quietly and not tell anybody really. And then when I land somewhere, I'll be like, see, I'm at this great network or production (laughs) company. But it didn't play out like that. I interviewed for 17 jobs. Wow. 17 jobs. And most of them I got to like the final two or three, which meant a lot of meetings, a lot of notes, a lot of samples. And then I didn't get any of them. And I had to step back and say, 
clearly there is a flashing red sign that's saying, Demona, you are headed in the wrong direction. (laughs) I tried to give you a sign. (laughs) Oprah tried to speak to you. Maybe you didn't hear it. So I actually started working with a life coach and she helped me really clarify that I had a little dream inside of me and it was to make my own content and it was maybe to actually be on TV on some of the kind of shows that I would produce previously and maybe I could have a life where I could be really invested in my job but also be really invested in my family. I love that. And one, Oprah be making people cry in all the circumstances. You weren't even like, like on the show. She got you at home crying and reflecting and, and thinking. She was speaking to me. She do be speaking. <laughs> and you mentioned a life coach, which you hear a lot of different things like, ooh, these life coach, it's scams. There are people who are just trying to push their products, books, high ticket items, this, that, and the third. Did you have previous experience or thoughts about working with the life coach? And can you just talk about kind of even the realization that that's what you wanted to do? And what was the thought or process that got you to actually take that leap? Because I know working with these folks, it's not cheap. I'd imagine mm-hmm. also working with a relationship coach is not cheap either. You know but it. <laughs> it's a it's a financial investment and people struggle with taking that next step for that thing that they really need to get them where they ultimately want to go. So I'm curious mm-hmm. what that looked like for you. When I started this journey with a life coach, life coaching was not what it is today. This was at least 10 years ago. And people didn't talk about coaching like they do now. And so I had this friend who was a producer in, she was a film producer, and she had left, I want to say like 20 years ago, she had left the business and she she became a life coach. And we were like, what? Like, what is this? What is this weird thing that she's doing? <laughs> so I had someone that I knew and I trusted who had been with been through this journey. And so she was the first person I thought to call because I was just like, I don't know, my life is messed up. I'm going to need to call somebody, <laughs> I guess. So I called her and she said, let's, she made it just so natural and easy. She said, let's meet. We'll, we'll, we'll have coffee or tea and we'll just talk through where you are and where you want to be. And yes, it was a huge investment at that point, especially when you don't have any income. I had to really buy into the dream that whatever I learned through working with her would somehow get me another job or a profitable business. It was a, a bit of a leap of faith, but it was so clear within the first month that working with her was going to make all of the difference. Even just getting me to speak out loud what my dream actually was. Because it was kind of embarrassing, to be honest with you, having worked as a vice president of programming to even admit, yeah, I'd I'd like to host a TV show. And now I've hosted two of them. So at that time, though, I thought that would be that would be really exciting. But it sounds really scary. And what would people say that? I mean, that keeps so many people paralyzed, right? What are people going to think? It does. And why do you say embarrassing? Because to me, hosting a TV show, even if you were an executive, to me, hosting a TV show sounds cool. I mean, hosting a podcast is cool, but a TV show, that's something else. So why do you say embarrassing? Because in reality, 
the the host is like literally the lowest rung on the totem pole. Like oh. I used to say on my show, I'd say, tell me what you want me to do because I know I'm talking furniture, basically. <laughs> like they have a story. They have, they have, they have um, a storyline that they need to move forward. And basically my job is just to make the storyline happen. And, you know, in a way, I'm almost like an on-camera producer in some in some of these um, some of these instances. But coming from being the person who literally I am the last stop on the TV train, like the producers have to run all of their choices by me, the editors, the and and even like being at the network, the the marketing team sends you the promos for approval. The publicity team asks you what the if their plan works you know so you're literally at the top of the food chain in television and then i literally even though it looks more glamorous i went to the absolute bottom but i had to admit to myself that it wasn't about the food chain or being at the bottom even though it looked glamorous i light up when I'm hosting and I love telling stories and I love talking to people and getting them to tell their stories. And I am so grateful that I had that realization and I took this career path because I can't even imagine being an executive anymore and living that life that I used to live. Because for me, this is so much better. Oh, man. And I could see you actually light up. And so folks can't see this, but we're on video having this this conversation right now. And I could see you light up even even saying that because it was kind of in alignment with your your purpose, your latent purpose, hidden purpose. And I, I think a lot of us have that even with career progress in general, what we think that we want to do. A lot of times that's not necessarily based off of what we want. It's based off of what others want for us. And it sounds like you got to a place where you really said, and maybe you did want the other things that you had and the and, and what your career looked like prior to this point, but you got to a place where you said, you know what? I don't really care how this looks. This is what I really want to do. This is what brings me joy. And this is what I want to do going forward. Now, there's also a financial element of this as well, because it's one thing to be an executive with the cushy benefits and the deferred compensation and all of that other stuff. Now you're out here on your own, doing your doing your own thing. You're paying for a life coach, but you're gonna make that investment back. And you've decided that you want to be more of a storyteller, host, that type of thing. That's probably a little bit of a change in lifestyle financially, at least getting started. So can you talk a little bit about like how you thought about the, the financial aspect of it? I have to admit, um, I lived below my means for a long time. So I wasn't at this point thinking too much about the finances. I'm also married and that does create a totally different dynamic. And my husband was like, this is your dream. You got to go for it. So while I had sort of invested and put into the household finances for so long, I got to withdraw a little bit uh, from that and, and pursue my dreams. Now, I'll tell you, it took a heck of a lot more time than I thought it was going to, to be profitable. Um, so that was a little bit of a surprise. But I have regular meetings. My husband and I have regular meetings with our financial advisor. I met him actually at a workshop 
at NBC when I was an executive there. So he's managed our finances for a long time. And the way that I work with him is he says, "Let I want you to dream. You do the dream. I figure out how to make it happen. And we've really worked in tandem with him for like the last, I, I don't even know, 10, 12 years um, in being able to make decisions that support our dream, not make decisions just because of the finances. Yes. I love that. I love that. And even having a financial advisor for for that long, a lot of people don't think about that until much later. I really just started working with one, well, a new one in the past couple of months here. And it was something I went the bulk of my life without actually having. So when did you, and I know you've been working with this person for a while, but when did you start working with him? What, 12, Gosh. 10, 12 uh, years ago? Yeah, it was about, about 12 years ago. He did a workshop at the, like our, I will say NBC Universal had really great um, employee support programs, whether it was like for the maternity or um, just for education. Like we had affinity groups um, and we had these lunch and learns. And so I was like, well, I'm making this money. I need to know what to do with it. (laughs) And, you know, I did have um, I had a couple of really strong mentors along the way. I worked in college while all my friends were working at, you know, McDonald's, I actually got a job as a personal assistant for a guy who owned a real estate development company. So I worked Hmm. out of his house, but I learned so much there just about managing finances. I did learn about integrity and being true to your word. He gave me a lot of autonomy, but I also had to figure a lot of things out as I went. Like one time he was like, I want to start a Celtic music record label. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to start a record label. (laughs) And he was like, me either. Figure it out. And like through that experience, now I could say I started a record label, but I learned a lot from him. I also learned from my, I, I got really lucky being at the right place at the right time. I had all my stuff together. Like I had my resume, I'd done my internships, I had all my planning. So I was ready to hit the ground running when I got to LA, but this is going to sound crazy. And in the current landscape, it's absolutely nuts. And I do not recommend this to anyone else, but I had paid for my rent for one month. I did not have a job. I did not have enough money to pay for rent for the next month. And yet I moved to Los Angeles with just my car and a lease for a furnished apartment for, I think, four months. And I was like, I'm going to figure it out. (laughs) And I ended up within three weeks, somehow I had three job offers and one of them was at CBS. And so I really started out in the fast lane from the very beginning. And I had a colleague there who was really into managing finances. And she was like, Demona, what you're going to need to do is you need to put the maximum into your retirement, into your 401k. Put the maximum because the company will match the maximum. At this, at that point, it was like a ridiculous match. I want to say it was 5%, but that sounds ri- ridiculous if you yeah, put in it's, 5%. Yeah, that's it's... A- it's doable. It's doable. And because it could be 5%, it could be up to a certain amount, whatever the max is for that particular year. So it very well could be 5%. So she said, you need, you're young. I was 21 years old. She's like, you need to max out your 401k now, get all that money. And I was like, I mean, when you, I literally did not have enough money to pay the rent for the next month. And I'm like, 
in my mind, it was like, I'm giving all that money away out of my paycheck when I make so little as an assistant. And she's like, no, 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 this is an investment in the future and it's going to compound and you're going to be glad that you did. So just that little nugget of wisdom that I was given really helped set the foundation for what I was ultimately able to do with my financial advisor down the road. Do you have any idea how many thousands upon thousands of dollars that advice has made you? I mean, you might because your financial advisor may tell you and show you because if you're like me, I didn't really start going hardcore with my 401k until I was in my 30s. And I had that similar thought of, you know, I'm not making a whole lot. I want to live my life. I'm going to take this money now. I'm going to rob my 65-year-old self. I don't really care. I didn't even think about that. So being able to have someone kind of instill that insight, like that is... and. On personal finance shows, you hear this all the time about the 401k, but like that really is like the starting point and the most foundational thing you can do when you start working your day gig is get that free money, get that company match. Yeah. And it was the mindset too of just this money is not money you're losing. It's money you're investing in your own future. And it's really hard for a 21-year-old to grasp that when they're 65, they might need them. But I'm really grateful to her for setting me up in that way. I just had so many great mentors along the way. And I, I'm not the best at financial management. Like I, I did do budgets. I did budgets for everything. Like our wedding, I came, I came in on budget like to the dime. <laughs> and <laughs> like as a producer, I'm always good at I'm always good at like figuring out what you need to do to to bring things in on budget or to make the amount of money that you need. But I'm not as good at the long range planning. And that's why having a financial advisor who's like, what's the dream? I'll figure out how to build it is really helpful to have somebody that has a complementary skill and that also knows all of the nuances. Like right now, okay, my husband he's a successful writer. His career has grown and grown and grown. And this year, his contract didn't get renewed. So to be able to 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 say, okay, first we're going to call the financial advisor. But we already saw, we've already done these scenarios of what would happen if his contract doesn't get renewed. So we already know, okay, well, you have a home equity line of credit. You have money here. You have money there. So we know, we know that we are going to be okay and that there's a plan in the event of an emergency. So you've made this move. You're out there working for yourself. You're doing the damn thing. You've got the finances in order because of good decisions and conversations that were had and communication that was done over the course of years with your husband. And then also just from what you've learned from the mentors and other folks. And uh, you've gotten to a spot where you, you've you hosted some things. I know right now you're also hosting a, 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 a podcast and probably doing all sorts of other content creation. I know when things were in person, you were doing a live event series of sorts. And so that probably looks a little bit different in the world that we're in now. So can you talk about maybe one of the th- things that you're proudest of in terms of what you've hosted. And it could be the same thing that's going to answer my follow-up. And then I want to talk a little bit about the th- various things that you're hosting and, and doing right now. Well, I'm proud of all of my work. I think one big lesson I've learned is that nothing is wasted. Every experience that you have leads to the next experience. And so I use, it, as a content creator, I really use 
every step along the way from casting to we didn't even talk about this yet, but I was I started the diversity program at NBC to being VP of programming at Sci-Fi Channel. Um, I use all of that. And when I when I left my corporate job and started my dating coaching, I was like, I need to have some way that people know what I do. So I started my podcast, Dates and Mates, eight years ago before people even knew what a podcast was, right? <laughs> um, and that really has been my training ground where I get to try out my my newest content. I got to really hone my skills as a host and to use it also as a sample that ultimately has led me into other exciting hosting opportunities. Um, about a year and a half ago, I took over the I Make a Living podcast, which is a brand podcast with Fresh Books, which you know a lot about. <laughs> yes, yes. You've Fresh been on Books the show. Yeah, been and on the show. Fresh, Fresh Books user. And um, that was really a deliberate move on my part to broaden the scope of what I could the kind of content that I could create because I was feeling a little bit stuck like, oh, people were just like, well, Damona is good for dating stuff. Mm, and it was like, wait a minute. I had a whole 12 year. I had a whole 12 year career before doing all these different genres of content. And I, I had to stop and say, what at my core, what is it that I do? I tell stories and I I make lifestyle content. So that could really look many different ways. And when this opportunity came up to host the I Make a Living podcast, I re I really dug into the lifestyle of the entrepreneur and telling their stories as and being an entrepreneur myself as I had I had a really clear connection to the people sitting across from me. And it's it's been such an amazing experience. I've learned so much as an entrepreneur, just from the people that I've had the opportunity to talk to, like like you and like Pat Flynn and uh, yeah. like um, Ankur Nagpal, the founder of Teachable and the founder of Harrow, Peter Shankman and uh, Jewel Berg Solomon from the Google for Creators program. It's just like, amazing that I get to learn on the job from the people that I'm talking to. But at the same time, I also get to play as a creator and and make content that I really believe in and that I would want to listen to myself. And I, I think I know the answer to this already, but how did you end up securing that gig? Yes. Um, so, I talked about the importance of communication, but relationships are the other foundation. I'm not talking about dating relationships. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about I built my career on forming lasting relationships with people. So like my agent today is an agent that I used to take pitches from when I was at the Sci-Fi Channel. And so I try to take as many opportunities as I can to build relationships. And you and I have both been at the podcast movement conference many years in a row. Yes. And I always look at that as a great opportunity just to meet other people and build relationships that might not pay off right now, but could pay off in the long term. And um, I ended up meeting 
Paco Erzmendi, who's the producer of the Fresh Books podcast, at a dinner. We just started talking. And as he was talking about what he was looking for, like initially I was like, oh, host of a podcast for a company that does cloud accounting software. I was like, that doesn't sound like me because I'm not like a finance (laughs) expert. But as he was talking about what he's looking for, he wanted an entrepreneur who could relate to the experiences, who could tell the stories, who had a producing background, who had a track record with podcasting. I was like, wait a minute, this does sound like me. And as I started to wrap my head around it, it started to sound like a really, a really exciting opportunity. And I put all of that excitement into a pitch. And so I had to submit a deck. I had to do a sample episode and put it all together so that he could really see it and feel it. And, you know, going back to when I interviewed for 17 jobs and didn't get them, it's so hard to pitch for opportunities and put in all of this work and know that sometimes you're not going to get it. Even if Mm. no matter how great you are, no matter how great your deck is. And even I'm still in pitching TV projects independently and I've had to develop a thick skin to to separate myself from the out, the outcome. Just do my best work. And if it's a fit, it'll happen. And if it's not for me, it will fall away. And that's okay. But I ended up going through this process with them and and it's been a great match. I'm I've now completed two seasons as the host and Congrats. we're thank you. We're um looking at maybe doing a season another season next year and um it's just it's just a great learning experience it's great people i get to work with and great conversations that i get to have but so many of the opportunities i have are from nurturing relationships long term yeah and and i'm glad you you worded it the way you did i didn't know what you were going to say but I, I knew relationship building played a role in it but you also said something else that uh put even the whole job search and pitching for opportunities in a different perspective for me. So a lot of times when I think job search, pitching opportunities, I think you submit your resume, you go on the interview, and you're not really preparing anything beforehand. And what what got me was when you said prepare like a sample episode. And then I was like, well, if you're doing stuff in the media industry, you're probably having to create all sorts of things as part of the process. And Part of what I realized is that has to like that has to really suck to not land it because it's not like you just put on your suit or you go sit at your computer and you answer questions like you've got to spend time creating something. And I'd imagine in most cases, because I've seen this be a hot topic, too, you're creating something that, that you didn't get paid to create, but it was part of the process. And then you're hearing no that many times. Like that hadn't even occurred to me, just how much more you have to put your foot in, even to be able to get to that, you know, final two or three conversations in in your world. It's it can be soul crushing if you allow it to be. At the same time that I started my dating coaching business, I actually was also pitching ideas as a TV producer. And I ended up selling my first idea which was the best and the worst thing to ever happen to me. <laughs> uh, I mean, now you got to say why. <laughs> because I was like, oh, well, this is easy. <laughs> I just come up with a concept, put a sizzle together, create a pitch deck, and then we get out there and we pitch it and the offers come rolling in. One I realized very quickly, I did not want to have my own production company. That was at that time, 
just, especially while I was also starting my dating coaching business, mm-hmm. it was just too much pressure because you're then responsible for, you're responsible for payroll. And as a TV production, you know, I had a team of like 20 people that were counting on me to eat. <laughs> that was, that was intense. And at the same time, I'm also developing other ideas because you you can't, you trust me, you cannot, it sounds glitzy and glamorous. You cannot retire off of one TV show idea unless it's like Survivor or something like yeah. huge. <laughs> you're not retiring off of one idea. So my agent at the time was like, okay, what other ideas do you have? What's next? What's next? What's next? And I think my partner and I developed like 40 concepts that we took out and we ended up selling two. Mm. So I got that slap in the face real quick of you you have to balance putting all you have into each project and doing your best work with each of them and then release and let it unfold. And it's either going to happen or it's not. But I have so many ideas, too, that I just have had to shelf that I know, okay, this was not the time for it now, but there may be a kernel of something in here later that I can use. So even the process of developing that idea that doesn't ultimately make it on the TV is a worthwhile venture. Ah, man. So you keep saying things that are making me think of other things, but we are rounding toward the end of the episode here. But this this idea of, of release, as you just worded it, where you put your all into something and however it turns out is however it turns out. And then you move on to the next thing. That's applicable to life in general. Would you agree? Sure. I talk to my clients about it all the time in dating. <laughs> I'm like, you have to want it. Like, show up like you care. But you can't have a death grip on it so hard that if it doesn't happen, you're going to be crushed. You have to be a little bit in that space of like, I call it the magic space of not knowing and being open to the possibility that it will unfold later, but you can't force it to. It has to unfold on its own timeline. Yes. Yes. And as I said, we are heading toward the end and it has been fantastic having you on the podcast, being able to do this conversation the other way around because you interviewed me previously for How'd I do? the I Make a Living <laughs> podcast. Oh, it was it was fantastic. It was a really good time. I like the finished product. I plugged it, all of that good stuff because there's sometimes there are ones where I hear it afterwards and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to just post that one at 3 a.m. Uh, when uh, nobody's awake and I uh, hope that no one ever hears about it again. And this was not one of those. And I hope people have gotten a lot uh, out of this conversation because you've just dropped so many uh, nuggets along the way. And in the new year, I'm going to try to find a word other than nuggets because I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately, not just today, but over probably the, the past few episodes. But uh, let people know where they can find you uh, around the web. And then actually, even before that, because I, I know that there were so many other things that we could have talked about. Is there a parting thought that maybe you have for the audience or just something, a message that you really wanted to get out there uh, for people, whether it be uh, careers, finances, passion, anything that's, that's on your mind that you think would be applicable to someone who's really trying to get their life in order? You know, they're trying to come up, they're, they're an achiever, they're trying to do that next best thing, whether it's financial or professional, any words you'd have for them. And then you could tell people where they can find you around the web and all that good stuff. I always hear 
people stressed around time. Like, I don't have enough time in the day. How am I spending my time? And my big lesson in this journey up to this point is that time is finite, right? You, you never, you're not going to get more time. And every choice you make to do something is, is giving up something else that you're not devoting your time to. So I just encourage everybody to really look at how they're spending their time and are they spending it with the people they want to spend it with? And are they spending it in the way that really makes them happy? I could have gone a long, a long time being a TV executive, being burned out, not being available to my family, making a ton of money, but not being happy. But ultimately, that little push, thanks to Oprah, to, to, <laughs> to really make a choice about the life that I really wanted to live and not to delay and put it off has landed me in a better place than I ever could have imagined. That is a fantastic closing note. And I know you've got what you're working on. There's what you're doing for FreshBooks. So let people know where they can get all the different things you have going on. And if they want to follow you and keep track of what you got going on in these streets, <laughs> these well, virtual... <laughs> socially distanced These virtual streets. streets. Yeah, I know. Everyone's finally caught up with how I live my life anyway. Like in this, I've been doing virtual production for years. So this is amazing. I have uh, the Fresh Books I Make a Living podcast. If you can search wherever you're listening to this for I Make a Living or freshbooks.com slash podcast will get you there. And uh, I also do the Dates and Mates podcast every week. So if you're in the market for a little bit of dating and relationship advice, that's where you can get that. And I'm online at Demona Hoffman on all of the socials. I love that you got your name. Uh, I'm still trying to get just simply Rich Jones. One, there's like some singer who is some white guy who looks nothing like me, who has claim to a lot of the Rich Joneses and Rich Jonesness out there. But then there's someone else who's just like sitting on a domain and they've been sitting on my name for like a decade now. So I'm hoping that one day I can take the I am off and just be Rich Jones across the things. Uh, <laughs> just <Demo> <laughs> pick a really complex name that nobody can spell and then you're golden. <laughs> then, then I'll be good to go. But uh, Demona, thanks again. It's really been awesome having you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Demona as much as I did because she's a great human and I really encourage you to check out her work for the I Make a Living podcast. And if you're curious about the relationship stuff, go give a listen to the Dates and Mates podcast as well. If you did enjoy this episode, be sure to share with your network, tell your friends, hide your kids, hide your wife and all that good stuff, because the more people we reach, the more people we help. And if you haven't already, be sure to join the PNB email community by visiting paybow.co slash email. I've been working on an updated newsletter format for 2021 and would love for you to see it when it's ready. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back to wrap up the year and this season. Yes, those eight episodes went by quickly. And yes, I settled on eight. Until then, have the utmost socially distanced holidays. I'm out. Peace. <laughs>